morning we're going to continue our study in 1 Peter. So if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, that's where we left off. 1 Peter chapter 2. This morning we're going to begin at verse 13 and read down to verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13 down through verse 17. We've gotten through one chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 is kind of the foundation for the rest of the book, as I explained last week. And Peter begins his application here in verse 13 in a more practical way. And this is in our relationship with our government as believers. So verse 13 through verse 17, God's Word says this in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but, the, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's take a minute of prayer, and then we'll get into our message. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, we now come before your word and recognize the authority that is in it. It is your word revealed to us as absolute truth. And it is the truth by which we must live. And so as we look at this passage this morning about how we respond to the government that you've instituted around us, Lord, may our hearts be open, may our minds be ready to receive that which you have for us. And may your spirit guide us into understanding and practicing this truth in a real way. And Father, we just need you now, and I need you now. So fill me with your spirit, I pray. Use me as your instrument and your spokesperson. Give me the words to say through your wisdom that we might hear from you. And Lord, just bless us, challenge us, and guide us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, as if we go back to what we saw last time in verses 11 and 12, in 11 and 12, Peter summarizes everything that he has been trying to teach us about our salvation in this epistle so far, which becomes the foundation for everything going forward. Okay, so if I could summarize it real quickly in 11 and 12, he says, because we as believers don't belong to this world, we should not be controlled by the lusts that are attached to this world, in, in other words, and our earthly body. <clears throat> so he says, don't live according to your lusts. Then he gets to verse 12 and he says, rather live in a way that demonstrates you are a heavenly citizen. You're not a citizen of this earth, you're a citizen of heaven. So live that way. And live as a child of the righteous God, so that God receives glory in your life and others might be brought to him through your testimony. That's, that's 1 Peter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 summarized, and there's a lot more to it. But those are the foundational principles we need to understand. And so with those foundational principles in place, Peter begins in verse 13, then with giving us practical application. So what does this mean, that we are a child of God, that we're called to live in holiness? We shouldn't live according to our lusts. We're to do it so that other people can see the God that lives in us. What does that all mean, and how are we supposed to live that out practically? Well, Peter says, here's... The practical application in verse 13, he begins that. But what we see through the rest of the book is all premised on one principle. Everything that we are to practice in our relationship with others is premised upon the principle of submission. And you see over and over and over that word appears throughout the rest of this epistle. Submit. Submission. Subjection. And it becomes a hallmark of the Christian life and it becomes a foundation of how we live out the gospel that we have been called to. It starts with an attitude of submission. He begins here in chapter 2, verse 13, with submission to our earthly authorities. If you go later on in verse 18, he talks about submission to those who rule over you in your work environment. 
When you get into chapter 3, he begins immediately with wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And then the implication is, after that, that husbands should submit themselves to their wives and their needs. As you get into chapter 4, it's mission in the midst of suffering. In chapter 5, he talks about elders, and the younger men should submit themselves to the elder men. And basically then he says, and all of us should submit ourselves to each other. So the whole book is focused on the application of we are God's children, called to holiness. We live that out in an attitude of submission. And that has to govern everything that we do then. So this principle of submission is not just a primary principle of 1 Peter. It is a foundational principle for our Christian lives. What would be the opposite? The opposite of submission is what? Basically pride. I want my own way. I'm in control, right? That's wrong. We know that. Okay? So submission then becomes the attitude of a true believer as we follow and serve the Lord. Now, when you think about it, this almost seems counterintuitive to what Peter's been telling us, because several times in, verse, in chapters 1 and 2, he's reminded us, you are not citizens of this earth. Don't get attached to this earth. Our home is in heaven. We have an eternal inheritance in heaven. Look there. Keep your eyes focused there. And then we get into the application section, and immediately he says, submit yourselves to the authorities on this earth. And you go, well, that doesn't make sense. Why should we submit to the authorities in the earth when we don't belong here? We're not citizens of this earth. Well, there's a reason for it, and he gets to that eventually. But he starts by saying, submit yourselves to the authorities of this earth. And, and that was likely some of the arguments he was facing as he taught believers while he was still alive, that they're saying, well, you just told us we don't belong to this earth. Why do we have to obey earthly authorities then? God is our ultimate authority, right? We obey him. That's all that matters. Well, and he says, yes, that is all that matters, but if you're going to obey God, then you must obey earthly authorities. And that's what he explains in this passage here. So Peter almost goes to excess here in stressing this principle of submission over and over, not just to government, not just to other authorities in our lives, but as a general rule of the Christian life. This is the attitude that we must live in, submission. And so, not just by Peter's words, but also by Paul, by John, by other biblical writers, submission becomes the foundational hallmark of a believer's life played out practically in what we do. Everything is governed and rests on this principle of submission. And so today we're going to see one application of that. Okay? Now, to, for us to understand submission, we have to understand what it is. It is connected with humility and meekness. Remember, humility is, I'm really nothing. I'm really not that valuable. And it's not a self-denigration. It's as Christ said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So it's not putting myself first, but putting others first. Humility. Meekness is having power and being enabled by God, but only using it for the benefit of others and not for myself. That's meekness. We'll call it strength under control or under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so humility and meekness are associated with this idea of submission because as we put others first then, we submit ourselves to them, not just to authorities. Obviously, that's part of it. But as we look at other applications, it's submitting ourselves to the needs of others. Ultimately, submitting ourselves to the authority of God. And that's what he's called us to do. Jesus used two simple words with powerful meaning to embody this idea. I mentioned them already. Deny yourself. Now, that's hard for us as humans to do. Because we're always looking out for ourselves. We're self-preservationists. Okay? We want to maintain our life. We want to stay alive. We want to thrive and to advance, to achieve. And Jesus says, deny yourself first and take up your cross and follow me. And so it is a self-putting down or putting down of self to lift others up. It is putting ourselves, not second, but out of the picture, 
Because anything we do for our own good really is not a good work that glorifies the Lord. Now, God wants us to be stewards and take care of ourselves, okay, so that we can serve other people. We're not to abuse our body because we're stewards of it. And so we must take care of ourselves in that sense, but it's not about advancing our own agenda, advancing our own goals, trying to achieve the things in life that I want, getting my desires and putting that as the most important thing in life. Jesus says, put all of that aside and submit yourself first to the authority of God and then secondly to others so you can serve them. He extrapolates, Jesus extrapolates this idea in the Beatitudes when he said this, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize their own spiritual bankruptcy. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so submission then becomes a very important principle in our living our Christian lives out on a regular basis. So Peter starts here in verses 13 through 17 by addressing our relationship with our earthly authority of government. Now, Paul addresses the same topic in Romans chapter 13 and basically has the same message and same approach that Peter does. And we're going to be looking at that as well in just a minute. But what we see here in 1 Peter about submission to authority on, in earthly governments is not isolated to Peter. This is preached by Paul and by others as well. And you go back to the Old Testament, we see the same principle. Okay, so in order for us to submit to earthly authorities, we have to understand again, what does this mean to submit? Are we to obey? Is that what Peter is telling us here? Are we to obey earthly authorities? The answer is yes. We are to obey them. Now, while the government is not our ultimate authority... Here in 1 Peter and other places in Scripture, we are clearly commanded to obey our earthly government. The Greek word that Peter uses here for submit is hupotasso. It's derived from a military phrase that means to arrange in formation under the commander. Think of a military brigade and when the sergeant says in line or in place or whatever the command he gives to have them fall in rank. And all of those soldiers immediately get in their place and stand at attention, waiting for an order. That's exactly the picture that Peter's saying. We submit to our earthly authorities. We are ready to receive the order. We stand in line under the control of those who are giving the commands. That's the picture that Peter uses here. So Peter uses this analogy in saying we are to submit to, in obedience to our government authorities. Is it a total submission and a total obedience? And obviously the answer is no. Okay? It is an attitude of submission and obedience that is played out in how we live, but it's not an absolute submission and obedience because there is an ultimate authority that is higher than our earthly government, and we know that is God. We answer to God ultimately. So our obedience to earthly authorities is conditioned upon those authorities not commanding us or impelling us to do something that goes against God's commands. Okay? There is the condition by which we have to understand that. In the words of Peter, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, he, he appeared with other apostles before the Sanhedrin, and they told him, don't preach the gospel in Jesus' name anymore. And what did he say? We ought to obey God rather than man. And so that has to be our approach as well. Our first priority is to obey God. He is our ultimate authority. But in obeying God, one of those commands that God has given us is to obey our government authorities. Now Peter uses this phrase. He says, obey or submit to every ordinance of man. Now at the, at the outlook, just looking at that kind of on the surface, it seems like, well, that means obey all the laws of man. And, that, and that's true. Okay, we are generally to obey all the laws that our government gives us. But Peter uses this every ordinance of man uh, in a much more, uh, de much more depth than just, oh, we see the laws, we hear the laws, okay, we're going to obey them. Okay? We are to obey the laws, but this goes beyond just the laws of the land. If we look at the actual words, there's more to it. 
Now, some of your Bibles, depending on the translation you have, might say, submit or subject yourselves to every human institution. And that would be a, a literal translation. Instead of every ordinance of man, a very uh, plausible translation to every human institution. Now, I want you to understand this. God has ordained three main, main institutions in creation. Okay? The first was the family. He created Adam and Eve. That was God's institution of the family that he set forth and set the boundaries and rules for. Number two was government. God ordained government in the earth. In other words, a way to govern through people, for people, by people, um, to keep people in line. So God ordained government. In fact, he set up a government in Israel. It was a theocracy. He was the head. It was, if you want to call him the president, the CEO, the king, I don't know, whatever name you want to put him, he was God, and so he was at the head of that. And then Moses was under him, and then other elders were set in place. So there was a governmental structure that God ordained in Israel. And he has ordained government as an institution through which he will um, rule the earth and govern the earth. So institution number two is government. And number three is the church. And even in the church, we have somewhat of a governmental structure as he's ordained elders to lead. He's ordained deacons to serve in, in leadership. Okay, So there are structures of this hierarchy of authority. And even if we go to the family, remember, the husband is the one who leads the family. The wife is to submit and obey in a sense. Okay, So there's a structure of governmental authority even within the family. So all three institutions that God has given us have this structure of authority in place. And there's a reason. Ultimately, all are answerable to God as the ultimate authority, but all of them, through that structure, are to carry out that God's authority in maintaining good and punishing wrong. And that's the purpose, and that's what Peter says here. The reason for government is to punish those who do evil and to reward those who do good. And God uses of human governments to do that. And that's why Peter uses this phrase, every human institution or every ordinance of man. Now, we can ask the question, well, if it's a human institution, doesn't that violate God's institution? Well, no, because God instituted government as a principle to rule us. And he instituted government to be carried out by humans, for humans, and among humans. And so it's a human institution. Now, is it defined then in 1 Peter, or even in Romans 13 as we get there, what kind of government we're talking about? It doesn't. And so government as a principle is an institution ordained by God, and that's what Peter is referring to here. Whatever government is over you, we must submit to them. Now, Peter uses this phrase, again, the human institution or the ordinance of man, is because not all governments look alike. Men have created different forms of government through history. We have a democratic republic in this country. Other countries have a monarchy. Other countries have a dictatorship. Okay, There's all different forms of governments that uh, countries have had as you come down through history. And this was one of the hot points for the Jews because they, at this point, were being rolled, ruled over by a Roman dictatorship headed up by an evil emperor. And as Peter's writing this, the emperor was Nero, one of the worst, most immoral emperors of, of all history, especially as far as the persecution against Christians. And that's one reason why Peter focuses on this premise of submission in the face of persecution. And that theme runs throughout the book as well. It's not just submission. It's submission in the face of persecution. So when he says, I want you to submit, or God says to submit to your government, it's not God wants you to submit to a government that's doing things right. He says, God wants you to submit to your government. Period. It doesn't matter what kind of government it is. He says all human institutions, and that means any form of government enacted by humans on earth. Now we can argue this question, and I've had this discussion with people. 
Well, what if the government is corrupt? What if the government is an ungodly dictatorship? What if, what if, what if, what if? Peter is writing this under the rule of a, an ungodly, cruel dictator who is the emperor of Rome, one of the most immoral emperors of Rome, and he's saying in that context, obey your government. And so we can't make the argument, well, it depends on the government. Peter's made it very clear. Paul says the same thing. Okay, when we get to uh, chapter 13 of Romans. Commentator Adam Clark says this, the meaning of St. Peter appears to be this, the Jews thought it unlawful to obey any ruler that was not of their own stock. The apostle tells them they should obey their civil magistrate, let him be of whatever stock he may, whether Jew or Gentile, and let him exercise that government in whatever form. So government means government. Whatever you happen to be under, submit to those rule. Submit to their rule. So it's not about just being submissive to the government if it's a godly government and follows God's prescribed structure or God's prescribed function. He says, submit to your government, any government, because they are our authority and we ought to be submissive to them. Now, Peter gives a specific example of who his subjects are to be, and he's not going to leave this question hanging out there. Now he's going to define it even more clearly. What does he say? Submit to your government, in verse 13, or every ordinance of man, for the Lord's sake, whether it be to who? The king and supreme. Who is the king? Nero, the emperor. He's telling the believers of his time, submit to Nero as supreme. And then he goes on, he says, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. So the king and all of those who are in authority under them. So there's a structure, a hierarchy that Peter points out here. He says it's not just the ultimate leader. It's not just the man in charge. It's those people he's appointed to follow or to carry out his laws, to enforce his laws, to make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So it's different levels of government. Now, in our country, we can look at the president. We can look at the federal government. We can look at state governments. We can look at county governments. Township governments, there's many different levels. And Peter addresses that. So it doesn't matter what level of authority the governments are at, they are government. They have the authority of God as an ordained institution of government, and therefore we ought to submit to that, Peter says. And so we have different levels that Peter points out, not just different kinds. In, and one commentator taking this phrase, every ordinance of man, basically interprets it literally this way, all constituted authorities. In other words, anyone who is in authority over us in that structure of government that we live under. So in this phrase, every ordinance of man, Peter's referring to both the laws of the land, obviously, as well as those who are empowered to carry them out at any level in whatever form they present themselves. So there's not really an exception. Okay? Now, let me go to Romans chapter 13. If you want to follow along, you can turn there. Okay, Romans chapter 13. Paul addresses this same thing. And I'm going to read the first seven verses because I want you to understand this is not just one kind of loose screw that Peter has. No, he's the only one. This is accepted principle and accepted practice taught by the apostles under the authority of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 13. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Sounds just exactly like what Peter just said. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained by God. Now that's a hard point to swallow, and we're going to get to that. But Paul goes on, he says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. If you disobey your government, you are disobeying God and you will be judged for it. That's what Peter says in verse 2. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is... What is that phrase? The minister of God. Paul is calling 
Emperor Nero, the minister of God. Get that. He is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, Peter says the same thing. We are to subject ourselves to governments. Why? For the Lord's sake. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. Peter, uh, Paul goes on in verse 6. He says, for this cause, pay ye tribute also. What's that? Taxes. Don't like taxes? There's the command. Pay your taxes. For they are, I'm sorry, render therefore all their duties, tribute to whom tribute is due, uh, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So Paul's argument for obeying our earthly authorities is that their authority, no matter what it may be, in what form or whoever it is, is given to them by God. Now, are they accountable to us as far as how they carry out that authority? Not necessarily. They're accountable to God directly because the authority comes from God. Now, I know that flies in the face of some of the democratic mindset that we have in our country where the people, the, the power is derived from the people, right? No, the power is derived from God. That's the problem with our thinking. The power comes from God. We don't give people authority. God gives them authority. The authority doesn't rest in us. It rests in God. Okay? So there we have to start with the premise that Paul teaches here, Peter teaches here. So Paul's argument is their authority comes from God. He's the one who raised up that government and the people in it. Look at verse 4. He says, for the government, or he, the government official, is the minister of God to thee for good. For if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God. He says it twice. So God put those governments and those people in government in place over us. Now, we look at our government, we look at the governments of the world, we go, how could that be? How would God put that kind of person in charge? Because they're so ungodly, they, they uh, praise that which is evil, they punish that which is good. I don't understand. How could God put that person in place? Well, Paul and Peter both say the same thing. God put them in place and gave them the authority in that government. Peter says, verse 14 of chapter 2, we read this, unto governors as unto them that are sent by God, or sent by the authority that God has placed. Okay? For the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. Now, this is the premise that is hard for us as believers to, to comprehend and to put into place. Because we kind of have this, like the Jews did, like we're almost like Jewish zealots. Right? No, God's Structure of authority should be godly. It should be based on God's law. It should be done God's way. Yes, that's the case. But the zealous Jews of the time of Jesus were considered to be criminals. Even Jesus considered them to be criminals. Because they were trying to assassinate Roman authorities. They were trying to rebel against Roman rule. And so Peter and, and Paul say, no, submit to your authority. Don't try to kill them. That's not the right response. Now, the zealots of the Jewish time had claimed that Rome had no authority because the land had been given to Israel. The governing of that land had been given to Israel. And so therefore, it should be ruled by Israelites according to God's law. Well, even when they had it that way, they didn't do it according to God's law. And the reason why they were being ruled over by Rome at this point is because they had abandoned God's law. And so God raised up Rome as judgment over them. In fact, Rome wasn't the only one. There was a whole series of nations that came in and conquered Judah and Israel and ruled over them. From the time of the, the Babylonian exile... There was no independent rule in, in Israel. And there hasn't been until 1948. From the time of Babylon all the way through 1948, Israel has always been ruled over by somebody else. 
I mean, you go through the sequence of nations that conquered Israel. You come in with Assyria. You have Babylon. You have Persia. You have Greece. Then you have Rome. And even after the Roman Empire kind of fizzled out and died, Israel wasn't even a nation at that point. And so when we look at this idea that God is the one who institutes government, God uses government for different purposes. His purposes, not ours. And so we may not agree with the government that is over us, just like Israel. We're not as bad as Israel. And yet Peter and Paul are both saying, obey your government. Because God has put them in place for his purpose. It's not so your life can be comfortable and easy. It is for God's purpose. To, for him to accomplish the purpose that he has on the earth. And for his people. And he wanted the Israel to understand that when you go astray of following God's law, when you forget to worship the Lord and thank him for all the blessings that he gives you, you're going to lose those blessings and unrighteous rulers are going to come and reign over you in judgment. And that's the history of Israel. And unfortunately, as we look at our world today and our country today, I think that's the situation we're in now. We have unrighteous rulers that... We go, well, in our conscience, I can't obey them. Look at them. Okay, but God's saying, no, I put these people in place for a purpose. Maybe it's to shake us at our core and help us to realize we have gotten so far away from what God wants us to be as the church that now he's going to subject us to this in judgment. And so we can't say, no, I'm not going to obey the government. There's no excuse. There's no exemption. God is the one who raises up kings and takes down kings. Plain and simple. The people, I mean, we have an election, but the people don't elect the president. God puts in there. The people uh, over in other countries don't appoint their, their rulers. God puts them there. In Jeremiah chapter 25, the, the prophet Jeremiah is writing during the uh, assault of, of Assyria on Israel. And destroying everything and killing and exiling people. In Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah says this, Therefore saith the Lord of hosts, Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. Listen to this. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against the land, and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, and a hissing, and a perpetual desolations. He calls Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, a very ungodly, prideful king of a foreign heathen nation that worships false gods, and he says, this is my servant, because I'm going to use him to accomplish my purpose. In Daniel chapter 2, after that happens, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, Babylon destroys Jerusalem, exiles millions of Jews, kills millions of others. Daniel is stuck now in Babylon as a servant to the king, the unrighteous, ungodly king Nebuchadnezzar. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, the, the, the image, okay? And he goes to his wise men, he says, tell me the dream, tell me the interpretation. And they're like, we can't do that. And Daniel goes and starts praying, and God reveals to him the dream, and he goes and tells him, this is what your dream was, this is what it means. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar exalts him in the kingdom at that point, but Daniel, his response is a praise to God, and this is what he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Daniel recognized this. God is the one who puts rulers in place. God is the one who gives us the governments that he wants us to have. And you say, I, don't, I, I can't see how that is, looking at the character of the government. He did it with Assyria. He did it with Babylon. He did it with Persia. He did it with Greece. He did it with Rome. Why do we have to deny that he can do it in our country as well? So there's no exception for unjust governments which exempts us from having to obey and submit to them. And that's the point Peter's making. So when Peter issues this command, again, just remember the government he was under. So just because we don't like or agree with 
our current authority that is over us doesn't give us the right to disobey or to overthrow it. And nor does the fact that the authorities which are over us are ungodly and wicked in nature. We must still submit to our earthly authorities, Peter is saying. Now, there is the exception. The exception is when they cross the line and mandate something that we must do that violates a clear command of God. Okay? And this is where we enter into the question of what we'll call civil disobedience. But we must still do it with honor. If you go look at verse 17, at the end of verse 17, Peter here says, Fear God and what? Honor the king. Okay, now Peter disobeyed the king or the authority, remember? Because they told him, don't preach the name of Jesus anymore. And he said, sorry, I have to obey God rather than men. But he didn't dance around and spit in their face and mock them. He was very respectful when he did it. So there is this area of civil disobedience that must be done in an attitude of respect for that authority. But only in certain situations. Let me give you some examples in Scripture. When the ruler in charge crossed the line, um, when Moses was born, remember the Hebrew midwives were commanded by Pharaoh to kill all of the male babies that were born. And the midwives didn't. That was civil disobedience. They had disobeyed the law because it, was, it, it violated a clear principle and command of God. They didn't have that right to kill babies. Daniel, remember, after a law was passed, signed by the king that no one should pray to anyone other than the king, Daniel went and continued to pray three times a day at his window like he always did. Why? Because he was not going to let a government tell him not to pray to God. That is a command that we are pray to pray to God, to no one else. Okay? And so Daniel was faithful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also in the book of Daniel. Remember, they were told to bow down and worship the golden idol, and they refused even accepting the punishment of being thrown into the fiery furnace, but they would not obey something that was a clear violation of God's commands. You get into the New Testament, I already mentioned, Peter and the other disciples refused to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And there's many other biblical examples of what we'll call civil disobedience. They disobeyed the government because they ought to obey God rather than man. Now, here's the problem we have. We get into situations... And we claim civil disobedience in certain areas, and we kind of pigeonhole ourselves into one command or one aspect of Scripture and ignore everything else. Let me give you an example. And maybe some of you aren't going to like this, but I've heard the argument that people protest and refuse to pay taxes because we know our government uses our tax money to fund abortions. Therefore, it's not right for me to pay my taxes to fund that I can't support that. Okay, here's the problem with that. I have no issue saying abortion is not a violation of God's command not to kill. Okay, yeah, that is a problem there. But when Jesus was questioned about paying taxes by the Pharisees in Mark 12, what was his answer? He said, give me a coin. And he looked at the coin. He says, whose picture is on that? And he said, Caesar. And he, then what was his answer? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Right? He's saying... Government issued that money. Now, ultimately, it comes from God, but government issued that money, and if they want it back, give it to them. Are you dependent upon that coin or that money to survive? No, we're dependent upon God. If that's where our faith truly lies, it's not about the money. And remember, when Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar, what is Caesar's, and Paul in Romans 13 said, pay tribute to whom tribute is due. That's taxes. The Colosseum existed in Rome where the gladiators were killing Christians in Rome's day especially, or in Paul's day especially. And that Colosseum and those gladiators were paid with tax money. And yet Paul and Jesus said, pay your taxes. We can't look at government and say, well, they're using my money for something that is opposed to God's law. We have two very clear examples here in Scripture where it doesn't matter what the government does with that money. What matters is that we subject ourselves and obey God. Pay your taxes. They're responsible to God, what they do with that, with the authority that God has given them. 
And they'll answer to God for that. Our responsibility is to be faithful in doing what God has told us to do. So it doesn't matter whether the government is obeying or disobeying God and what they use our taxes for. Both Jesus and Paul said, pay your taxes. That's the right thing to do. So we need to be careful and prayerful about saying that we have a biblical foundation for any kind of civil disobedience just right off the bat. You know, and I could, I could give you probably half a dozen examples of things that I've seen people or heard people say about, oh, I have to disobey the government because of this. Now, if they tell us we have to bow down and worship idols, obviously that's an area we don't do. Okay? We have to disobey in that regard. Let me give you another example that's more practical for us. A few years ago, we um, encountered COVID, the pandemic. Okay? You might get censored now because I said that word. Anyway. In some states, the government mandated that churches were to be closed. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 is a command to us. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And there were many churches that took that command and principle and said the government has no authority to tell us when we can meet. Okay? Now, we can use common sense that God has given us. If we have a whole bunch of sick people, maybe it's good for us not to get together for a week or two. You know, and I tell people, and this is probably a good time to say it, we're getting into flu season and all the rest of the sicknesses. If you're sick, stay at home. Okay? You can watch online or try to catch up later. But we don't let that, or especially a government mandate because of disease, close the doors of the church. And there were many churches in states that literally made a law that said you can't meet because of the pandemic that continued to meet. And they were taken to court. They were fined every time they met. Eventually, those things were overturned. But that would be civil disobedience and obeying God. You don't stop meeting as a church because the government tells you to. The government may be able to tell us the codes that we have to adhere to in building the building so it doesn't collapse on us. Okay, that's what they have authority over. They don't have authority over how we worship, when we worship, and who we worship with. Amen. Okay? So there are areas, and there are times when we have to disobey our government in those things that are very clear commands of Scripture. But we must be careful. And we must be respectful. And make sure we have a clear, biblical foundation for those arguments. And not just picking out and cherry-picking our preferred things that we don't want to obey the government now, Peter tells us why we must submit to the government in verse 15. And look at this, because this is important. Verse 15 says what? For so is the will of God. Submitting to our government is God's will. Now, there's the big question in Christian circles, right? Christians always ask that question. What is God's will for my life? Well, here's part of it. I can tell you right away. Peter said, obey your government because that's God's will. So you can't say, well, I don't know if it's God's will. It's very clear that it is God's will. In verse 15, he goes on, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So there's two points that Peter points out here why we must submit to government. First of all, it's God's will. Remember, God ordained the government, and God ordained those officials that are in government. He gave them authority to carry out the government functions. And so the general principle that God that is part of God's will is that submission to government authority is what God wants us to do. The government is one of our earthly authorities ordained by God, and Paul said the same thing. There's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God, therefore submit yourselves to them. So it's God's will for us to submit to the government. And if we disobey our government in something other than what causes us to disobey a clear command of God, then we're disobeying God. I want you to think about it that way. To disrespect our government, to disobey just because of my own leanings, our government, and not do what they tell us to do, unless it violates God's commands, we're disobeying God. And secondly, he says that by obeying government, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, remember, at least twice, and kind of buried in all of what we've studied so far in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Peter is continuing to tell us this. People are watching you. 
what you live will demonstrate to whom you belong. And so he says, be ye holy, as your Father in heaven is holy. Live so that you show forth the praises who, have brought, who has brought us out of the, the darkness into his glorious light. Live as believers so that the, the character of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the perfect God, shows through in how we live. And he says the same thing here. When we live like Jesus, and I mean, there's a whole discussion in and of itself. Did Jesus submit to unrighteous and ungodly government? Yes. In fact, he let them put him to death. Unrighteously. Does Jesus show in how we submit ourselves? <clears throat> we are to live in holiness and godliness in the character of Jesus Christ because people are watching us. That's what Peter says here. We have a testimony that we must uphold before the world. And he says, even to ungodly governments, our attitude of submission and obedience to the authority that God has put in place becomes part of our Christian testimony. So he says, when you do this, then you put to silence those who are foolish, the ignorance of foolish men, he says. Now, the word put to silence, I mean, think about it this way. That annoying dog barking next door that just won't ever be quiet. Midnight, three in the morning, the dog is barking, right? And, and I've been there, and you start praying, Lord, I wish I had a muzzle, right? Just, I could, I could shut him up, and then he'd be quiet. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. By our submission to the government, we put a muzzle on the foolish talking of ignorant men. It refers to stopping someone's mouth as to render them speechless. And he says, it's those who are in ignorance. Now, the word ignorance doesn't mean, oh, we don't know anything. Okay, this word ignorance in the Greek is a specific reference to those who have a willful, hostile rejection of God's truth. They're the ones that are going to be barking all the time. Against us as believers, too, especially. They're always looking for a way to take us down. They're always looking for an opportunity to point the finger and say, oh, see, big hypocrite. And Peter says, if we obey the authority God has put in place, it silences that. Romans 1.18 says, these kind of people suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Romans 1 goes on, it says, they profess themselves to be wise, but they become fools. They turn the truth of God into a lie. They worship the creature more than the creator. And if God will eventually give them over to a reprobate mind. And these are the people that are barking at us that are criticizing us, that are pointing the fingers, because we don't live like Jesus. And unfortunately, many times, they're not wrong. And that's the problem with the church today, is we become so centered on my life and enjoying the blessings that God is giving me, and so nobody's going to tell me how I need to live or what I need to do. Peter says, absolutely wrong. Submit yourself to the authorities because by doing that, you put to silence those people who are looking to criticize you. And Peter says, they're foolish men. We understand that. They've rejected God's law. But when we submit to, in their eyes, what man's law is, all of a sudden, what are they going to criticize us for? We're not breaking the law. We're not doing anything harmful against other people. We're living like Jesus they have nothing to say anymore. And we're going to have to pick up verses 16 and 17 next time, because we're out of time. But let me read you Titus as we close. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. This is Paul's advice to a young pastor, Titus, going into a church. And he says this, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, be ready to do to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For also we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving our lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness of God, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us 
by the washing of regeneration and renewing of his Holy Ghost. He's talking about the salvation that Jesus has given us. The deliverance that, that God gave us through Christ apart from the lust that we used to live in. That's verse 11 in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And at the beginning of that passage that Paul's talking about, all of that and God's grace being given to us, and we're drawn out of this terrible situation, and now we have abundant life, he starts by saying, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and obey magistrates. I think it's pretty clear. We really don't have an argument against it. And so as Paul told Titus to do for his congregation, I'm going to follow the same advice today. And so because I love you, I urge you, obey your government. Not the things that disobey God, but obey your government. And respect them. Because that is who God has put over us at this time of life. And it's for his purpose. And we may not understand that, but it's not for us to understand. It is only for us to submit to the Lord and submit to the authorities he's put over us for his purpose. And so I leave you with this question again. People are watching you. How will you live in this area to demonstrate to whom you really belong? Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you that your word is true. We don't have to doubt it. We don't have to question it. And Lord, things like we talked about today are very difficult for us, especially in this country today. Because with our supposed freedoms and all the liberty that we have, we've been grown accustomed to living for ourselves and doing what we want. And yet, Lord, you've told us very clearly that our attitude should be submission, looking at what's best for others. And even in this area of submitting to our authorities, Lord, it is best for others to obey as you've told us. So help us not to mar that testimony of Jesus Christ. To be faithful witnesses, even in this, uh, in how we subject ourselves to the governments that you've given us. And help us to remember that you have a purpose for them. We don't understand it. But you will work all things together for good to those who love you. And so we have to trust you in this. So Lord, help us to do what's right. And we can only do it by your power and by your grace. And so we look to you. Thank you again for your truth today. May we not forget it, but live in it as we go from this place now. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.